0: Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 58. My guest this week is Grisel Medina. She uh, is this amazing woman who I've been following on Twitter for a while. Uh, you'll hear lots about her story in this podcast, but just as by way of intro, she has served as a bilingual church planter for the Evangelical Covenant Church for a while. A superintendent, also, she gives leadership to Hispanic, Asian, and African American pastors. She's been involved in developing prayer summits for Hispanic congregations, and has been involved on a number of different boards and councils regarding ecumenical work, gender equality, and various different things. So we talk all about decentering whiteness, de-depowering. Uh, patriarchy and a bunch of stuff here uh, i i enjoyed this conversation so much i was fascinated to hear her story and i'm so glad to share it with all of you today uh, we're gonna just jump jump right on in here we go so
1: i'm a mishmash of a lot of
0: things beautiful yeah, yeah. yes
1: i used to be i was raised catholic um Got saved in a Baptist church. <laughs> yes. Uh, got um, got my first preaching um, gig in an Assembly of God. Yeah, church. come on. Was exposed to Amy McPherson and Catherine Coolman and some of those other ones. In fact, I interviewed some women that had been in that era when I was um, in seminary at ORU
0: cool yeah right i saw that
1: yes so um and now i'm in in the evangelical covenant church we just which is kind of like uh it's more of a lutheran kind of liturgical kind of framework yeah uh although we do have some churches that are much more charismatic so i'm a I'm mix it a lot
0: of stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it's so better. This is good. It's exactly. good.
1: It's
0: good, yes. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. So one of the reasons yeah. that I wanted to have you on the show was uh, last week I had uh, Gina Thomas on and we talked about her experience oh. fostering uh that, that little girl who'd been separated from her family at the border that we talked about. Immigration policy, we talked about language, you know, systemic issues, that, the history of, of all this kind of stuff. And it was wonderful. And I know that people uh, are very, very touched by it. But I was also very cognizant that this was two white people talking yeah. about this. And so, obviously, she has a certain on-the-ground lived experience, the capacity yes. to share certain things. But I was like, okay, I would love to hear uh, directly from from someone uh, obviously this is part of the, the issue that white people are having to contend with. We are so used to being the experts on every subject and so yeah. trying to push away from that. And so Gina was like, oh, well, you need to talk to, to Griselle. So uh, we connected there on Twitter and so I'm so glad uh, that you were able to yes. make some time.
1: Yes, and Gina has gotten a lot of pushback for, for what she's, um, for her book. And, and being a white woman, which I think is, um, is sad because Gina's heart is in the right place. And I met Gina early on, on Twitter, um, and we connected, you know, immediately, um, I did an interview with Gina that she wrote a piece on me. Um, so her heart is in the right place. But I, I think that what has happened is that, um, in the culture that now we are living in, um. People are, are saying, well, why can't we have um, people who are boots on the ground, but that are from that, um, that are from that nationality? For example, you know, um, that have the Hispanic um, experience, yes. uh, the black experience, uh, the Native American experience, the, the uh, Asian American experience, you know, that are that can speak from a context that um, that's very rich, very diverse, but also very painful. Yeah. So we need to hear those voices. I, I think that it's not about as much as two white people talking about these issues, as much as it is the exclusion sometimes of the, the voices that are, that are in the trenches that have lived this out on a daily basis, um, that deal with um, racism, uh gender inequity economic disparities who have been marginalized um continue to be marginalized and and I think it's 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 come to this kind of uh tipping point where where more and more women especially women of color are saying where's a platform for us to tell our own stories
0: Absolutely yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So so tell us then some of your story. I'd love to hear. I've read bits and pieces of where where you've come from, how you've ended up here. You were saying theologically you're a, a, a mix. Yes. I can hear even in your accent that there is a mix of influences there. I'd yes. love to, to hear your story.
1: Yes. Well, my story is quite unique because my parents, both of my parents are from Puerto Rico, Uh All of my lineage, as far as I can trace it back, is from the island of Puerto Rico. Um, My grandmother was orphaned at the age of seven um, and lived a very painfully brutal kind of existence with being tossed around in different um, family members, uh, was abused uh, during that time, ended up with a man, which was my grandfather um and married him well didn't marry him but he made a deal with her with her brother older brother and she was fourteen years old and was taken to live with a man that was in his thirties. Hmm. Um so a lot of the uh painful history of colonization is part of my hit my legacy, my 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 story. Um story of injustice, of poverty, of marginalization, of women being silenced, the cultural silence, the, uh, the abuse um, that was never talked about, the communal complicity, all of those things are part of my story. My mother was um, seduced by my, my father, which was also older than her, not, that, not as much age difference between as, as my grandmother was with my grandfather, but my mother was, was a young woman and my and got involved with my father, biological father, which had been already married and widowed, had no children, but was seduced by him, got pregnant, and were embarked in a very painful downward spiral of of domestic violence. Hmm. And so, as a child, I grew up with the scenes um, that are out of some kind of horror movie of domestic violence. Hmm. So that was a, a daily kind of um, existence. My earliest memories as a child are of abuse,
0: wow.
1: of my mother being abused, of seeing my father be with my mother um, in ways that I really can't even talk about even to this day. Sure. Um, images that are in my head and are triggered by certain things, even uh, smells, uh, music, certain sort of things that um, are triggered points for me as a child living under that, um, for probably about because she left my father when I was about 18. Mm,
0: that's a long time.
1: It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was highly violent, highly volatile. Um, I became a advocate at a young age, didn't even realize what that was. I didn't know that word. I didn't have the language to. Kind of articulate what that was, but I became an advocate at a young age. You know, um, having to call the law enforcement police to, you know, get my father out of the house. You know, the threatening, the having to to deal with that as a child was very traumatic for me. Um, And having to be an an advocate for her, having to translate, you know, with law enforcement because my mother knew very little English. So I became a translator early in my life, had to deal with family court, had to deal with um, law enforcement, and um, it's, a lot to, it's a lot to process, a lot yeah. to digest, a lot to um, have to deal with as a child. And then I couldn't talk about it because mm-hmm. I couldn't talk about it in school. I couldn't talk about it anywhere in my neighborhood. So there was this communal complicity that people knew what was happening. People knew what was going on in my home, but no one talked about it. They saw the bruises on my mother's face. They saw the, 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 her trying to um, disguise it with makeup, but of course it was so horrific that she couldn't disguise it with makeup. People knew. Going to the grocery store, with my mother with black eyes, you know, having to have the sunglasses, the dark sunglasses. My mother is uh, white, very, very white. She comes from a a line of the Spaniards in Puerto Rico that conquered Puerto Rico and were there for a while. So I was able to trace back that DNA. So my mother is blonde, green eyes, blonde hair, uh, very petite, was very petite all her life. Um, Well, most of her life until later on in in her age. But um, yeah, she probably weighed, I would say probably a hundred pounds wet. So she, and my father was a big guy, you know, he was a big guy, strong, he was a welder, uh, very muscular, very buff. So you can imagine, you know, this very tall, buff, uh, type A personality with a very petite, uh, young woman. And then also, you know, the, the racial implications that all that had in living in New York. Uh, my father is very dark-skinned. He comes from an Afro-Caribbean descent. So his hair was very curly. He's very dark-skinned. So he was a tall, dark, and handsome, but dangerous and, and viciously cool. Mm.
0: And so can I ask then, uh, at some point, obviously, you moved to New York from, from yes, Puerto Rico.
1: Yes, yes. So my mother did the trek to New York as a teenager to do a summer summer visit in there that's where she met my father and got pregnant and ended up staying in new york my father had been the track earlier on years before um he came from also from an abusive home his Mm -hmm. mother my grandmother was abused by my grandfather and she left puerto rico because of the abuse but left her three children with an abusive man Mm -hmm. so my father was under that abuse also as a child He he didn't get to meet his mother um, she was five when he le- when she left uh, the island and he didn't get to meet her until he was about seventeen yeah so that yeah. was quite traumatic for them as children my mother my mother's background was her father was very a uh, loving nurturing type of person um although their his relationship with my grandmother was volatile it, he was very um, nurturing towards my mother mm-hmm. very kind and I did get to meet him, um, young in age, because he came to visit us and stayed with us. But he he also saw the stuff that was going on in my home, so he ended up having to leave my home because of because my mother did not want him to be, you know,
0: uh, assaulted. He yeah. had been assaulted in my home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how do you come to God when? You've had all of these masculine figures uh, who haven't been safe.
1: Yes. Yes. And um, my mother, my mother, I, I don't know how she did it, but my mother uh, wanted us in a safe place. So the public schools, of course, we lived in a very uh, rough neighborhood in New York. And so she wanted us in a safe place. And she was able to connect with some people, advocates in the Catholic Church. And I was able to go to private school. Hmm. But that was also an experience being in the Catholic Church um, because it was very male dominated and also hierarchy. So whenever there were issues of abuse within my home that my mother went to the priest to, you know, get some help for that. The, or the, the rhetoric, the religious rhetoric was very painful because she was always told that she needed to, uh, be nicer, submit, you know, uh, try to stay away from him when he was having a bad day. So all of those kinds of things made played into the abuse narrative. So it empowered my father. Yeah. Um, But I'm glad for the education that I got in that private school, because that enabled me to then move up the ranks educationally. Um, I ended up graduating from high school, was the first one to graduate high school, and then go to college, and then go to seminary. So I'm glad for that structure, um, but the church was not supportive and did not render aid to the abuse that they knew was going on in my home.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So at at an at an age where I was an adult and I went to college and I got married, I left the church for for a while because to me the church was an enabler of the abuse.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very understandable. Yeah. Uh and so yeah. So how? I mean, I, I I'm tempted to immediately ask, how, what drew you back to church? But perhaps perhaps uh the first question is what were those years in between like? What we what was your journey after you sort of said, okay, you know what, I'm an adult, I'm married, I can make my own decisions, I'm done with this form of the church. Uh I already have this burden for advocacy because of what I have been exposed to. What is what are those formative adult years look like for you?
1: Well, I became an advocate for survivors of abuse. I, I immersed myself in activism and advocacy for those who were abused. Um, I became a voice because of my fluency in both languages, which oddly enough, I attributed to my father because my father was one that he's, he was very much into the culture. And he said, you're not going to, you're not going to lose who you are. So he, at an early age, would make me read the you know, Spanish newspaper, uh, get myself involved in what was going on in the community, get, um, learn about uh, how the, the systems worked. And so that became my kind of education on advocacy and, and activism. But the church was not a part of that narrative because the church was not a safe place. I did not connect the church and advocacy until I was in way into college and after and after um, having several of my children. That then I saw that maybe this could be connected, but I was very leery of it. So I reached out in certain churches, denominations. Of course, I went back to my original upbringing, which was Catholic, but at that time the whole scandal of the priests and the pedophilings and all of that was coming out. And I said, I'm, I'm not doing that. Uh, I also could not find a voice as a woman um, to speak into that context. So I became, I became a, a wanderer. I, I went to different churches. I observed, I looked, I, I listened, I took notes, went back, Started listening to um, radio and learned of some women that were doing some work that I felt that I could kind of relate to hmm. um, in and outside of the church. So I did that for a while, but then I still said, you know, there got there has to be a faith component that I can uh, that I can, you know, kind of marry the faith with. With my advocacy and activism. Hmm. So my grandmother, my maternal mater- my, my grandmother was a prayer warrior. She had a prayer, a prayer room. Hmm. That was very odd being a Catholic. Because she was very Catholic, but she had a prayer room. And she would put pictures of all of us um, on her walls and she would pray for us. And that was intriguing to me as a person that had been outside of the church for Quite some time, and when I would go to visit her, she would say, "I'm praying for you, Griselle," and then she would call me. Um, she would call me on my birthday. That was like kind of like a ritual. She would always call me on my birthday. She would always celebrate my birthday, even as a child. So that was kind of a relational connection, and so the prayer connection and her and 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 advocacy began to develop. I would pray. You know, because there were times that I was just overwhelmed with what I was seeing, what I was hearing from survivors of abuse. I was overwhelmed with the lack of advocacy from the law enforcement. And when some states had laws that, that would almost enable abuse. Yeah. So I became, I had to pray. I had to seek something else besides myself. So my grandmother's legacy of prayer connected me back to faith. Hmm. And then um, I had a, a professor in college, which had come to faith, and we had a long conversation. And my thing was, I don't need church. Church was not there. Where was God when my mother was this? And I had a whole long list that I would kind of um, blurt out to people, especially when religious jargon would come up. It would trigger all of this kind of baggage. Yeah, you know, I was very adamantly opposed to church and church rhetoric. So religious and scriptures were not a good thing for me. It triggered my pain. Um So when I had this discussion with her um, in one of my rants that she was trying to be, you know, trying to come get me to faith, I said, uh, I do have my own faith. I do believe in God. I do believe in Jesus. I do believe in the Trinity. I do believe in, um I do pray. But I don't want church. I don't want church. Church is not a safe place. So her thing was, well, what about if church needs you? Hmm. I said, <laughs> and what, if, I was like, uh, but she was a professor, so she was very astute. And she says, what if church needs you? Yeah. What if you're, what if the church needs your voice? What if, What if there are people within that church just like your mother that you can help?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh and what if God is calling you to the church? Again, questions that were that made me think. Uh not um not may not gave me a guilt trip, not condemned me, didn't um Force feed anything, but just kind of questions. And then she said, and where was God when your mother was being abused? And I said, he was nowhere. And she says, how, he, she says, well, no, because God is omnipresent. So God is in every place at all times. And so, and he's also omnipotent. He's all powerful. And I said, well, if he's all powerful, then what? why didn't he do anything about like this? And she says, well, you know, there's evil in the world and people make choices. And, um, and sometimes we are the casualty of somebody else's wrong choices. And so again, it was like mm, things that made you go, think, kind of go, hmm, and think. So she gave me a Bible, gave me a nice Bible, and I began to read it just for myself. And I find that in the pages of the of the book of the Bible, from Old Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, there's this woven story of love and redemption. And there was this um, these stories of people who had um raped, uh abused, had taken women for granted. But then I saw that from the ashes of these very difficult um situations, women arose. And took leadership and were a voice and yeah. proclaimed justice. And so a big uh, scripture for me was in Micah where it says, to do justly. Yes. What does the Lord require of thee? What does the Lord require of me? But to do justly. And justice was the first thing. Hmm. Justice was the first thing. To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with my God. But it said justly first. It said justice first. So justice was the paradigm that then was enabled me to then come back and say, okay, God, where is it that I can be a voice? Because I don't want to be an echo. I don't want to be in a silo. I don't want to um, be pushed down. I've already been in that oppressive place. So where is it that I can be free to be who I am, to speak my, my truth and to empower other women who may be in that, in the midst of that? Um, and God led me through a journey and then I, I met this wonderful Baptist, Baptist pastor. Who would come to my home and share the scriptures and discuss things and I ended up getting baptized uh, as an adult and then did not find uh, an outlet again for my advocacy within the Baptist church. So then I went and I found this little charismatic church, which gave me voice, let me preach. so said, you, you have a, uh, you're a preacher. And we so see they... your
0: anointing. <laughs>
1: yes, those terms. Yes. We <laughs> see your anointing. You are a gifted woman of God. And all of these kind of things. And I'm going, okay, whatever. But um but they gave me a platform. And then I started getting invited to the Assembly of God um churches. I started getting um invited to women's conferences. But I also was the thing that this is, this is a wonderful thing about God is that I had had all of that discipleship from the Baptist. So the structure was there for me. I had the, the liturgical aspect because of my Catholic um, training. And then I had the charismatic come in with the fruits of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. Mm. And so I said, wow. So I Put those, all those things, and I made what, um, I made my own kind of stew. Yes. It was almost my own kind of stew. Uh, my own Puerto Rican kind of flavor there. I, I use my hands, if you notice. I, I just use my hands a lot. I can confirm
0: she is using her hands.
1: (laughs) So I, I kind of go like this sometimes with my hands because I'm very expressive. But they gave me a platform. And in that platform, I, I I understood what it meant to utilize a gift. Hmm. And I also understood the responsibility of using that gift and the accountability of using the gift. And also the premise that there was a culture of silence within the church, no matter what it was, whether it was Protestant or Catholic, Anglican, it didn't matter what denomination or doctrine they upheld, there was always this culture of silence to silence voices that did not fit the status quo. I
0: mm. will to just take a brief pause to thank my Patreon supporters. Thank you all who are giving each month. Thank you so much. You make all of this possible for me. You help me put the hours of research in and of preparation and of interviewing people and all it takes to do the editing. You know, uh, quite a few podcasters have other folks who do the editing and things for them, but it's all me in this case. So every episode is, oh man, at least eight, nine hours work plus the writing and volunteer posturing that I do as well. So all of this uh, feeds my family, puts food on my table, and I'm really thankful for those of you who are supporting. If you're not supporting, can I ask you to think about it? $3 a month, uh, you can get in, and you'll also gain access to uh, book studies and behind-the-scenes materials, exclusive writing, and an exclusive supporters-only podcast where I share uh, much more deeply and vulnerably about the things I'm learning, uh, kind of almost sometimes B-side to these interviews. So... Uh, you can join up at patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. Thanks a lot.
1: So I became an advocate to say, utilize your gift as God has given it to you. You don't have to mimic someone else. Because I saw women screaming and hollering and whooping and, you know, crony, you know, and all of these other kind of terminologies that I saw in the charismatic church. And I said, that's kind of, It's not me. Yeah. So I developed my own style and my own mantra was just be yourself. Just be yourself.
0: When when you were spending those years kind of visiting churches, taking notes, getting the lay of the land, how many uh, Latina women did you see in any position of influence? None. And how about today? How is that? Few, few. So we're talking incremental improvement, if if any. Yes, yes,
1: yes. And I, um, and I preach a lot about that because we should be further along than we are. Yeah, and I it goes back to uh, decentering whiteness because even though I would have conversations with my white sisters and brothers. They would take my ideas and they would say, this is wonderful, yourself. But they would not give me credit. And they would preach it as their own. And when I would call them out on that, they said, well, it's God's anyway. It's not (laughs) yours, (laughs) yourself.
0: Yeah. It's not
1: yours. It's really God's, you know. And God gave it to you. So it's really the body of Christ. So, again, it was that. That level of injustice. I faced a lot of racism. Um, I would write things down um, and and share them, and then people would take them and make them their own. So there was that level of uh, of racial, gender inequities that I saw. You know the the inequality that uh, the two edged sword that I call the two edged sword because I was a Latina. I was a woman. Um, and then I was, you know, I was called, so here I was as a Latina, which there weren't a lot of us, uh, there still are not a lot of us. I was educated. I was gifted. I was talented, but in a white, in a white centered, uh, society, I was still marginalized. And so the, the, the trial or the challenge was, you know, how do I speak for myself? And how can I utilize the gifts that God gave me, but not be a doormat and not be the be the one that people step on so that they can get hired.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I hear people, uh, especially women of color talk about how the the feminist movement was for white women and yes. essentially did not pick up any anybody's cause outside of their own. Can you yeah. explain that for, for those of us who, you know, for those people who don't really understand why uh, other women haven't benefited?
1: When I went, when I went to college, I studied women's women studies. I took uh, a minor in women's studies. And what I found was that in all of these uh, feminist movements, uh, women of color were not given voice. And so, again, you had the ideas uh, implemented. And some of the creativity that women of color brought to the table would be utilized, but they were not getting credit. And they were always in the background. They were not the ones on. They didn't get the mic. Yeah. And so that became very discouraging to me in the feminist movement. It's still discouraging to me today. Uh, a lot of women, especially uh, women of color, took upon themselves to utilize the, fe- the feminism as a different narrative so if you look at uh, black women you po- they call themselves a womanist theology or a liberation theology if you look at Latina women you, call, you know they call themselves mujeristas. Um, because again the church was lacking and and way behind in the social justice paradigm and so the church itself would condemn feminism from the pulpit
0: oh for sure yeah, i oh man, I, I'm thankful and women's to, rights, yes. yes, yes, I'm thankful From to live in moment. a very, a very egalitarian church context, but the number of people, uh, even still somewhat within my frame, oh, feminism, that is a godless liberal agenda. Yes,
1: yes, 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 I had people that would come to me and they say, sister, you are so gifted and talented, don't get into that activism. You know, don't get into that advocacy. They would say you're. I. I, I even had, as recently as um, the beginning of this year, I was at a conference, and I had a uh, a colleague come over to me and say to me, "You know, uh, Pastor, you're more than the women issue." <laughs> and I go, "What does that even mean? I am more than the woman issue." I'm going, "What does that mean?" do I stop being a woman? Um, Are you wanting me to stop being a woman? Do you want me to talk like a man? And some women, uh, especially in the charismatic movement, I saw that some of them would literally speak just like, the men the popular men of that time hmm. uh because they wanted to be accepted wow and so there there was a lack of authenticity a lot of times with women because they wanted to be accepted and so if if, if you accept me if i talk like this guy that's popular then maybe maybe i'll get more speaking engagements
0: yeah
1: um but what they became was they became a mockery And so they were not authentic to themselves or to women or to their culture, but became almost parrots um, and it became almost a parody of what men were doing. And so, um,
0: so it's like, we can accept, we can accept you so long as you, as long as you adopt masculinity, we we will not accept your femininity. That cannot be a part of, yeah. Okay. So then that happens, that's, that has to happen culturally as well, I'm sure. Right. Yes. We can accept your skin provided that your culture is kind of left behind. Yes. Yeah. we make these compromises. You know, the the, the white system makes these compromises that we can tolerate. We can tolerate Barack Obama. Yes. Because he doesn't disturb us culturally. Yes. Yes.
1: I had I had a white colleague that came to me um, and I had spoken and he said, oh, that message was was phenomenal, and he says, "You know, you know why they accept you." And I said, "I thought, uh, okay, I'm going to gear up. Here it comes. Gonna, yeah, here it comes. Uh, because you're so well groomed. Because I'm so well groomed. Really? Because I'm so well groomed. Because I have, I dress nice. What does that mean? That I went to Pet Mart. You know, uh, what does that even mean?" Um, so these were kind of the compliments that I would get you know um you're more than the woman issue um uh, I had a opportunity to serve on the commission of biblical gender equality at the um at my denomination, and i was so- i it was they were i was solicited by some of the white women in there and they said we need your voice. We need your stories. We need, um, a woman of color because we don't have women of color that are really coming into this commission. And I, I had a long conversation with my white colleague and I said, I'm not into playing games. Um, I'm not into white, nice constructs. Um, I am who I am. I'm comfortable with my own skin. If, if this is going to work, then I cannot be anything else but myself.
0: Yeah, right. If they're know. just trying to tick the diversity box and feel great about their inclusion. Exactly. You're an actual human being.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and much of the things that I'm requested to is to fill a box. Mm. Uh, sometimes I go only because I, I believe that, that um, you have to be present. And, and if you're not present, you can't open a door for someone else. Yeah. So sometimes there's a very painful place for me, but I know that I'm, I have to be present in those spaces. Um, not that I agree with everything that's going on in that particular conference or I agree with every single person that's going to be on that platform, but I believe that God has sent me there to be present. Yeah. And so sometimes I do. Um, there is such economic disparities with women of color, especially when we come to these conferences, we're paid less or we're told to come because, Oh, it's going to be such a wonderful opportunity for you, but you have to pay it out of your own pocket. Yeah. So I have to pay my hotel. I have to pay for the conference because I've some of them will even say, Oh, and Four hundred dollars for the registration, so register today. Um,
0: I and you're, have to... and then you're going to present. You're a speaker. Yes. Yeah. This, yes. this boggles my mind, which yes. probably exposes my ignorance. Yes, but like that's that wrong.
1: And then this is 2019. I, I just recently had one. Oh, but it's going to be such an opportunity for you. <laughs> Oh, but you can get a sponsor. Do you know how hard it is for a woman of color to get a sponsor, to sponsor her to a conference? Yeah. 2019, we still have been doing that to
0: women of color. Mm -hmm. I I don't even know what to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it's really easy for me to think that, oh, this was happening once upon a time.
1: No. 2019, 21st century. We're still asking women of color to come for free, pay it on their own dime. But it's such a great opportunity. Hmm. And then they'll ask you and then they put you last. and It's a little blurb.
0: Yeah, honestly, you know what? Let me just call something out. The charismatic people are the worst for this, too. There was a major event at the uh, the church I, I used to work at. They, To be fair, it was a rental. It was not my denominations event and they had something like 20 speakers <laughs> and of 20 i think two or three were women and they were white blonde women and that was that yeah. and and i i looked at this thing and and i was just like you were telling me that the holy spirit is not moving powerfully in women that the Holy Spirit is not moving powerfully in women of color, or men of color for that matter. There was no one of color on the panel. That that revival and that the fires of God will only come through white vessels? Please. Yeah. Please make a historical argument for that. Uh, like, this is what boggles my mind. That you, that even as you were touching on on f- the feminist ideals, that that you would in, you would not include the very bodies and people who have lived an injustice reality their entire lives, that you would exclude their theological framework, your theological framework, like this. It's yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: And then, um, and then to add insult to injury, if you call these conferences out, which I've written extensively about this, then they call you that you're bitter or Mm. that you are making waves or give us time, sister, give us time. We're just, we're just, you know, we're, 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 we're in the journey together.
0: We don't want to rock the boat for the fragile white people.
1: Yes, just give us time. Give us time. Or Not maybe much you, time?
0: Maybe you have a spirit of Jezebel that you have to watch out for.
1: Oh, that's a big one, yeah. 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 You just want to control. Hmm. Yes. Yes.
0: How do, How do we move forward? Let's say that I... Okay, here's what we'll do. I am a... Uh, representative of I shall sit in the place of all of this white masculine church dominant culture that I abhor but hey Jesus Christ goes to the cross and represents the sin that he abhors what would you uh, want me to know and what would you want me to do differently
1: well first of all I would say Social media is a wonderful place to find emerging voices. So seek them out. Mm -hmm. Don't always put the burden on women of color to educate you. Mm -hmm. Educate yourself. Look for them. They're there. Some of, I understand that some of my colleagues are not on social media because they just don't, they, they just don't want to. It's, it's, uh, it's very vicious out there. And whenever you say something that kind of, uh, Stirs up the white male. They will come at you like, like, you know, like venom. They'll call you names. They'll make memes out of you. They'll, they'll all, they'll say all kinds of uh, derogatory things. Uh, It's vicious. It's vicious. But, but there are also women out there that are in the trenches that we're out there. We're doing the work. It's a slow and painful process, but we're still present. And so seek those women out. Um, there are women that who are writing books, women of color who are writing books. Uh, Karen Gonzalez has written a wonderful book of, um, The God Who Sees. Uh, Carolina Pinosa Cisnero is a poet. He's written some great pieces on, on, on the experience of the, of the Hispanic woman, Latina woman. Which also, those terms also can be painful for some because we don't want to be categorized. Uh, We are in a variety of colors and a variety of experiences and um, so even the uh, words that we utilize to categorize people, uh, women, uh, can be triggering. So, But she's a poet and writes some exquisite things. I have a, a wonderful friend called Dr. Elizabeth Conde-Fraser, has written some excellent books, a theologian and a scholar, Um, not on Twitter, but you can find her books on Amazon, um, and has written extensively about the Latina experience, the Latina Evangelica, which is the evangelical uh, Hispanic Latina woman. Um, There's just a lot of women out there now that uh, were not present when I was. So now we have a, a good group of women that are out there. Uh, Sandra, uh, Pastor Sandra von Ospa from Chicago, excellent woman written on, on, on a variety of subjects, including uh, worship and lament. Mm-hmm. Uh, she will, um, her and I have been at the same conferences um, and had some really wonderfully powerful talks about how can we move forward. And one way is to seek them, to seek women of color out, seek out their advice, follow them on Twitter, promote their books, promote their, what they're saying, and when the viciousness comes, please men of, men of God, whether you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Defend your sisters, Mm. you know, come up and and say, no, this is wrong. We shouldn't, you know, and because coming from you is, it's even more empowering for us. We shouldn't have to fight this fight alone. Mm. We're not wanting to fight it alone. I think there's, there's health and vitality in a mutuality narrative where men and women can work together in partnership. Yes. And whatever our denominational backgrounds, I think that we can always come to a point of agreement on certain issues concerning the isms that we face in this country, especially in America and globally. There's a lot of isms that we need to deal with head on, And so we can do it together. And I think we're stronger together. Um, I'm not your adversary. So when I talk about white fragility, don't get mad at me. You know, (laughs) maybe that Maybe if you're mad at me, it's because I'm triggering something in you that needs to be addressed. Okay. So if I'm calling something out, if I'm saying we need to dissenter whiteness, that's not saying that I don't want any more white voices, but I am saying that white voices have been front and center for a long time. How about you relinquish your power, your privilege, and your entitlement, sit down for a while and let me speak, and let me tell you my story, and let me tell you my pain, and let me tell you what I've gone through, and listen attentively. Don't interrupt me and say, oh, wait, excuse me, you know, uh, let me say what I have to say in its entirety, and then we can have a dialogue, a civil dialogue, because we have to be respectful and civil in our discourse. We don't have to be poisonously toxic. And talk to me about you know the things that I see in scripture. I've had see people that you know get all bent out of shape when I talk about David raping Bathsheba. Oh, excuse me, are you making stuff up? No, I'm not making stuff up. You know, Bathsheba was a, a rape victim, she's a, a rape survivor. Um, David did not deal with that culture of rape. Not only did he rape Bathsheba. But he allowed the rape of his own daughter, Tamar. Look at the scriptures. Read them. I challenge you to read Tamar's story. And then then tell me if patriarchy really protects women. Then talk to me about how patriarchy protects women. Because what I see in the Bible, patriarchy has never protected women. Patriarchy protects men. It protects your power. It protects your privilege. It protects your position. It protects your entitlement. It protects your money coming in. It protects your platform, but it doesn't protect women. So let's just be honest. Patriarchy has never, never will, never has, never will protect women. Patriarchy is about people keeping men in control. And white men have used it for centuries to oppress women. So let's just be real. Don't tell me that if I'm if you're a patriarch, that I am supposed to just submit to you for the very fact that you are male. No. I submit to truth and to what is true, And we submit to one another's truth. So if I speak truth, then white man, submit to that truth. do not mm. It's not me personally. I don't need you to bow down and kiss my big toe. I don't want you to. That is not my place. But my place is to speak truth. I am a truth teller. I am a prophetic voice in this hour. So if I have to speak truth, let me speak it the way I see it. And if you don't like it, that's okay. It's okay. I don't like some of the stuff you do either. But I don't have to be disrespectful. I don't have to be rude. I don't have to do a mean, you know, attacking you and making you into some caricature. I don't have to call you a snake in the grass. I don't have to call you Jezebel or Ahab because I don't hear a lot of men talking about Ahab. (laughs) They talk a lot about Jezebel, but they don't talk a lot about Ahab. And they talk about the deception that Eve went through. But they don't talk about Adam being present and silent. They don't talk about Adam's complicity. So let's just be real. We have a lot of communal complicity that is in our church. It's not outside the church. It's inside the church. And as a pastor, I am inside the church. And I see it every day. I go to these pastors retreat and I see it. I see it from the pulpit. I see it from the pews. I see it in the in the people that you pick to be the speakers. I see it in the way that you dismiss women of color, and you say, "Give us time." Men of God, we have given you a lot of time. We have given you centuries after centuries. This is not a new thing. So let's just get real, and let's just do the right thing. Do justly, like Micah says. It's time for us to do justly. And if you don't know what to do justly means, and if you've created a white construct of what to do justly means, then I say dismantle it, deconstruct, get some solitude time, read the scriptures again, listen to some women of color, and maybe, maybe we'll get to the place where God's basileia, God's kingdom comes, and God's will will be done in the church as it is
0: in heaven. Boom. Come on. So I'll, I'll come and listen to you preach any <laughs> Sunday, sister. <laughs> come on. Have you been to Canada? Come on up. We'll bring you in. <laughs>
1: I'll come. I'll come to Canada. I love Canada. I, I, I lived in Oswego, New York. Yeah. So I I travel to Canada quite a bit. So I come love on. Canada and I love the Canadians. Yes, I'll mm. come. I will come.
0: Uh, and I'll you. bring my
1: charismatic little flair in there too or <laughs> or my liturgical flair, whatever it is, you know. So like, welcome.
0: I'll come.
1: Yes. Thank I'll bring my so clerical much. column. Whatever it is, you know. I I I it's time, you know, and again, I love my white brothers and sisters. I do. They have supported me through the years. I love them. I have some people that support me behind the scenes, um, financially, empower me to do the things that I do, um, to be present. But you know, we have to decenter whiteness. Yeah. It is time that we listen to some wonderful, gifted women of God who are in the trenches. Who have been in the trenches of their communities. It's time to listen to them. It's not about, you know, it's not about us saying, oh, now you, now you, you know, you had your time. You had your time in the sun. Now it's our time in the sun. No, it's about the son of God. We have, we are, we are, we are in a time right now that violence runs amok. It is center stage. And in order for us as people of God, we have to work together in order to really bring some biblical truth and to bring some common sense um, into into the narrative because a lot of the biblical rhetoric that's out there is counterproductive. Oh, for sure. Um, it's very counterproductive. So I'm for healing and I'm for redemption and I'm for reconciliation, but I'm also for truth. And you can't reconcile with me unless you deal with your own baggage.
0: Yeah, come on. Praise God. Where can people uh, learn more about you and the work that you're doing?
1: Well, I'm on Twitter. Um, So you can log in. I'm at Pastor Griselle, and it's G-R-I C as in Charlie, E-L Pastor Griselle on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook. Um, And I also do some extensive writing with a blog group called Ezra Rising. It's E-Z-E-R Ezra Rising. And they could find my articles there. And I also write for other prominent publications. So you can Google my name. It's Grisal G-R-I-C-E-L Medina, Pastor Grisal Medina. And you can find some of my articles there.
0: Friends, uh, definitely go and do that. I'll put some links into the show notes to some of those resources. Uh, I've been reading her, her blog and yeah, she is, as you have already heard, a wonderful voice full of fire and wisdom and compassion and grace and justice, uh, a combination that we are desperately in need of. Uh, so, yeah, go check the show notes for, for links to those resources. Uh, so would you pray for us? Sure.
1: God, we, we thank you. Um, for the word that you have given us. And it is a word that sometimes we misapply and misinterpret. So God, in this hour that we live in, in the 21st century, we're wanting to really understand the word of God deeply, not from a doctrinal standpoint, from a, a from a truth-based narrative. A narrative that um, empowers people uh, to live a life that is... Um, utilizing their gifts and their talents well. So God, make us a healthy church. Make us a healthy missional church where we are about the Father's business, where we exemplify Jesus Christ as he truly is, as an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we want to exemplify him and we want to move by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, teach us, you are the teacher, you are the counselor, you are the advocate, you are the present help in time of trouble, you are our counselor. So lead us in places that we need to be. So let this be a road of Emmaus for us, a road of discovery, so where our eyes are open and our ears are open to truth, where we're not just grieving and lamenting, even though we have to grieve and lament for what is happening in our world. Let us grieve and lament, but let us come from that grieving and lamenting place to a place of action. And so let the church be a, uh, the church of, of Christ, not the church of doctrine or denomination, but the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And let us move together in fierce boldness and courageous advocacy, for our time is short and it is, there's no time to waste right now. So let us be truth as you have ordained it to be, and let us be our authentic selves in this celebrity culture that we live in, in Jesus' name. Amen. And
0: how was that? Hey, eh? isn't she amazing? <laughs> it was. It was honestly such a pleasure and a privilege to have sell on the show so please go and follow her on twitter on instagram uh, check out some of the links in the show notes to those other books that she mentioned from other uh, fellow sisters in ministry and uh, yeah go and learn more educate yourself fill in the gaps in your knowledge and your understanding we'll be back next week with another uh, interview in a similar theme so i won't give anything away now but uh, it's special it's really good so God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. You can find me online at JonathanPuddle.com, at jonathanpuddle on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and, of course, on Patreon, JonathanPuddle.com, slash Patreon, or Patreon.com, slash Jonathan Puddle. Both of those will get you to the same place. We'll talk next week, my friends. Thanks for listening.